You know what time it is No matter where you've been So let's do it again Listen up and let the sun shine And we've got soul training Time to practice what you preach Ooh, yeah. Yes we do, we've got soul training Hey Daniel, hey Joe, how are you all? Just right, brother. How about you? I knew you were going to say that. I'm never, I would be shocked if you said you weren't doing good or you weren't just right. <laughs> you need to try that sometime. Yeah, I'm doing good, too. Thanks for asking. How are right. you? Oh, I tell you, I'm just doing great. If I was any better, I'd be our guest, <laughs> Mr. Bart Warren. Uh, we actually we try to be a podcast of firsts with soul training on the leading edge, You know, leading the 21st century. And so we get another opportunity at this time because we have a repeat guest. We've never done that before. He is our first repeat guest, yeah, isn't he? He's our first guest, and he's our first repeat. So he's a first of firsts. Uh, so we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that Bart is here. And he's also apparently with you, dear, dear listener, because you're tuned in. You made a choice to be with us, and we're thankful for it. Today, we're going to talk about something that's hopefully going to grab your attention, but also make a difference in your life and also motivate you to want to grow and learn more about Scripture and uh, kind of maybe fuel your curiosity even more about the Bible. And we have a wide range. Big Show Joe has a, uh, a buffet of topics for us here. and A buffet? You know, all you can eat, huh? <laughs> oh, you can. Well, let's say I've got a plan, and that doesn't always work out to my plan. But we're gonna we're gonna ride this wherever it goes. That's right. We're gonna ride uh, ride the waves, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a fourth member or a fourth person join us. Uh, you know, during this recording, it's always nice to have somebody to, to share the load. And there's nobody better than Bart uh, Bart Warren, who also serves as the minister at the South Green Street Church of Christ here in Glasgow, Kentucky. Tonight, or at this time, wherever you're listening, it may be daytime when you're listening, we're going to try to talk about a few things like the big idea or the big question of how we got the Bible. Bart, you listen to, you've listened to us ramble. How would you like to introduce yourself or join our segue, or segue into our conversation? Well, I'm just happy to be here. I'm uh, thankful for you guys. Love the three of y'all and uh, love the job you do. And so I'm thankful to be a, a small part of it every now and then. So... How cool is that to be the first repeat guest? I'll, I'll take that honor with uh, great joy. And I'm just thankful that uh, you didn't introduce me as like a uh, WWE wrestler this time. Uh, yeah, see see the last episode if you want to hear the real intro to Mark. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, we're all growing. Yeah, this is good. We're, I like this one. We're trying to ease into things. Um, you know, most people, uh, and I shouldn't paint with a broad brush because I always – find including myself into that most people category but most people you know like myself or like us have a paper or a manuscript a copy of the bible something you can hold in your hand but lots of times people maybe we don't think deeply enough where did we how did we arrive at all 66 books of the bible now we can go to most any well any local christian bookstore unfortunately brick and mortar buildings are not present in communities like they used to be, but you can go online or you can go buy, you know, a Bible. Uh, most of the time, get whatever version you want. We'll talk about versions too, but... Usually 66 books. Yeah, 66 books. But not always. Not always. The Catholic so, uh, Bible has extra. So, That's right. 
Joe has kind of opened the door to he's wetted, kind of wet my appetite a little bit. So Bart, we're going to metaphorically, uh, you know, Joe used the idea that you have a point guard, but I never played point guard, but I did play quarterback in the backyard. So I'm going to throw the ball to you. Okay. Well, I guess the first thing I think of is uh, the fact that when you say, how do we arrive at, at these 66 books, the 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, uh, let me just emphasize this to start with. Um, the books that we have were not decided by uh, a council. They weren't decided by uh, some group getting together at some point and saying, okay, we've got all these books to choose from. Uh, let's just whittle them down to these few. Uh, that's one thing I hear from uh, modern-day skeptics, you know, the Richard Dawkins of the world. That's one of his quotes was Dawkins said, and I can't remember where it was, but Dawkins said that um, there was all these Gospels out there and Christians got together and just picked these four uh, because it helped them solidify the power structure, helped them stay in positions of power they wanted to be in. So they picked the four when they really could have picked so many others. Okay, and that, let me just start by saying that is as untrue as it gets. Uh, there wasn't a council that decided. There wasn't a group that decided. Uh, what happened was as God revealed the message, uh, God's people understood uh, that this was a message from heaven, and they uh, identified the the books and the letters as they were given. Um, and one passage that comes to mind, and this is sort of a foundational concept for the whole thing we're going to talk about, is in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, uh, Paul says that we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. In other words, the very first time they heard the message, they recognized this was an authoritative message from heaven. They didn't need to go vote on it. They didn't need to take it somewhere and put it with several others and say, uh, should we take this one or, or the other? Paul said, I'm thankful that you recognize this is God's Word, and you recognized it from the start. Uh, so, you can even go back and look at Old Testament passages and see the same thing, that uh, there was a, a covenant message given from God to the men, and they recognized right away this is a divine commandment, this is a divine word we must keep from the start. Uh, there wasn't a, a dead period, if you will. Uh, so the same thing with that. They recognized from right from the beginning uh, that there was a divine message from heaven. Yeah, and Bart, those, those same passages you're talking about, uh, not only served to show evidence that the audience understood it to be the Word of God originally, but also that the, the authors themselves, the writers, Paul yeah. and Peter, others, knew they were writing Scripture when they were writing it. It wasn't right. something that they, you know, Christians later on retroactively uh, applied the term Scripture to, to what they were writing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you, you started out with... Um the New Testament there, so we can, we'll can we stick with that. Bart, can you talk a little bit about um, the chain of custody and how we know that some of these, uh, that these letters, we, we, we know how who it was handed down through from year to year? Because a, a lot of critics will say, listen, that, that wasn't written until 40 years after the event, and then hundreds of years later, somebody, you know, 
or the, or maybe they they claim that it was written hundreds of years later. They don't right. know. But if you could speak to the chain of custody, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. So let me say this real quick. A couple things come to mind as as you mentioned that um, that one of the keys of uh, identifying a uh, a gospel message, one of the keys of identifying a, an authoritative divine message, was that it had to come from the right source, uh, meaning it had to come from one of the apostles or one someone who was uh, closely connected to one of the apostles like Luke or someone like this. And so right away we knew, the earliest Christians knew the message had to come from one of the apostles, one of the ones that had the authority of heaven. And then it was closely handed down uh, to the next. But I think there's an important thing to say before we even talk about the transmission and the chain of custody and moving down the line. I want to mention something that I first heard from Jonathan Morrow uh, in a book he wrote called Questioning the Bible uh, years ago, and he mentions three reasons why the New Testament canon emerged kind of when and how it did. And I think if we set these three reasons up first, then we can kind of see the way that the chain of custody and chain of command works. And and so his thing is this. The first thing is that the first century Jews were ready. They were waiting for God to finish uh, the story of the Old Testament. And what that means is they, the earliest Christians, these people believed that God was going to complete the story that had started with the prophets, complete the story that had started with the law of Moses, talking about the fact that this Messiah was coming. And so you read like Amos 9, and in Amos 9, 11 through 15, it speaks of you know God saying, I'm going to raise up the booth of David. Well, so in Acts 1, 6, the disciples say, well, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? In other words, there was this understanding that God was acting through Jesus to establish the kingdom. They'd been waiting for the Messiah. And so those first century Jews were waiting for God to finish the story that had been started before. And so, you know, when Jesus reads Isaiah 61, as it's recorded in Luke 4, and he says, I'm fulfilling this. This is me. I'm the one who's fulfilling this right now in front of you in your hearing. Well, that they were ready for those kinds of things because they were looking for the Messiah to finish the story started. Okay, that's the first thing. So the second thing is this. Those earliest Christians also understood that covenants were going to be written down. Uh, Covenants were written documents that specified terms of agreement. Look at Exodus 24, verse 7. Look at Deuteronomy 29, 21. They expected there was going to be things written down uh, that made this covenant between God and them. And so that's the second idea. And then the third idea is this. Those earliest Christians also believed that the apostles, this is where we get to your chain of custody, They believed the apostles were the uniquely authorized people to communicate the message. They they knew it was uh, the 12. They knew that it was Paul. They knew it was these ones. And so they were expecting the apostles would write down the new covenant teachings from God through Jesus to us. Let me me say this. Let me say this real quick. John 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, that, and that's a thing that goes back. That's what they were doing. Exodus 17, 14, Isaiah 30, verse 8. They were writing those things down in order to preserve them, in order to give them permanence so that the eyewitness testimony could live beyond the time of the eyewitnesses. And so the apostles knew, you know, Acts 28, 19, Acts 1, 8. The apostles knew they had a global mission, but they also knew they couldn't be in more than one place at a time. And so to ensure the fact that the message could reach the whole world and so that it could remain consistent, it had to be written down. And so here you have a setting where the people are ready. They're ready for the story 
to be completed with a Messiah. They find out that Jesus is that Messiah. He is the Christ. And they expect it to be written down. They discover that the apostles are the ones authorized by God to be the writers and preservers of this message. And so that is why it is able to be uh, shared right away and then preserved at all costs, at dear life. One thing that um, I've heard a number of different people say, and I love this saying, so I'm going to steal it. Not every book is worth dying for. Not every letter is worth dying for. But if you've got one that you know is from God, that's worth dying for. And so if you're told to get rid of it, if you're told to, to burn it, if you're told to, to destroy it, some things are worth dying for. A forgery is not a neat letter that's written by someone who may be entertaining and interesting, but it's not from heaven. That's not worth dying for. But if I've got one of these 39 books of the Old Testament, if I've got one of these 27 books of the New Testament, that's worth dying for, and I'll put my life on that. And that's what these martyrs did. And so they were willing to not just read and teach, but to preserve and to guard and pass on to the next generation. Well, real quick, you kind of passed over it. They were expecting the apostles to write this down. What gave the apostles credibility? Was it them hanging out with Jesus? Was it the miracles? Was it all the above? Was it their willingness to die if needed, be flogged? We kind of skipped over it. I just want to make sure the people know, listening, why they have that credibility. Yeah, well, there you go. You had to be someone, like it says, uh, you know, sort of the idea of an apostle is one who was with Jesus when, uh, when he taught when he died, when he rose. And so those who had been with him through his ministry uh, and had been eyewitnesses, and that brings me to this. That makes me think of this, Joe. First uh, John chapter 1. I uh, love the way, the first, the way that First John opens up. This is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes. And he's talking about Jesus here. We've heard him, seen him with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And then listen to this. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Yeah. So they'd been there. They'd seen him. They'd heard him. They'd eaten with him. They... And then they had been authorized to share the message. They weren't just um, somebody who had a neat idea. They were they've been with Jesus. So, it, see this. Go ahead, Daniel. This um, idea of inspiration is something that that Jesus predicted for them as well. Told them would happen. For example, in uh, John chapter fourteen, verse twenty six, Jesus says, "But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name." He will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then the very next chapter, he says in verse 12 and following, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all uh, the truth and he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All the things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes them mine and will disclose it to you. So there are a couple of different times. Jesus tells the apostles the Holy Spirit is going to continue to reveal things to you and is going to help you supernaturally to remember the things that I've said. 
Amen. And then, of course, they're going to be able to write those down for us. Okay. So go back and answer my original question about the chain of custody. How, well, do, how do we get these letters? They went from the hand mm, of Peter and Paul right. to us. How'd that happen? Well, so there's a long—let me, let me back up. There's a way to put this is four major categories, uh, inspiration, canonization, transmission, and translation, right? So the, first of all, you have to have something that's inspired by God. And then you have the, the message put together, canonized, as it were, the list. Then it has to be trans, transmitted, has to be disseminated. And that final step is translation, getting it from one uh, language to another that we can understand. So I know I keep moving back from where you want to be, but I just keep thinking there's other things that need to fit into this category. Uh, so the chain of custody just goes like this, from God to the apostles to the church, Right, it's shared from uh, Paul writing a letter, sending it to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth takes that letter and preserves it, and it is uh, copied and uh, disseminated and passed down from one uh, one group to the next. Continues to be preserved, copied, um, has to be translated into different places because not many people that are listening speak Hebrew or Greek, uh, which. You know, Hebrew and Aramaic is what the Old Testament's written in. Greek's what the New Testament's written in. Um, and that's been translated for centuries into, you know, Coptic languages and um, uh, Latin and so many others that were the original translations that we've gotten now to thankfully be in, in English that we can understand and so we can know what the Word of God was as well. We've also got, we know that Peter was buddies with Clement Right, right, right. And we can go down and say, well, Peter taught Clement. Mm-hmm. Clement taught this guy. Yeah. This guy taught this guy. And you can also trace back through history yeah. and, until it is in our Bibles, yeah, really. You, right. you can see generation to generation who is in uh, possession of these letters, right. too. Right, 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 right. Which it sounds like we're going to focus this mainly on the New Testament because it's a 30-minute program. Hey, I'm happy to talk about the Old Testament. Um but I, we've got some books uh, we mentioned earlier. I didn't cut you off today, Alan. Well, I was just going to say, you know, <laughs> I'm always trying to – I'm always coming from the angle of a babe, a babe in Christ, because I always say that I'm not a scholar, I'm a student. And when I something that helps me today, you know, compared to even when I began studying the Bible seriously uh, almost 20 years ago is – Second Peter chapter uh, one, uh, verses twenty and twenty-one. It was comforting to me then, and it's comforting to me now. Where Peter says, "Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit." And for me, that just you know, as a struggling, growing, hopefully growing Bible student 20-plus years ago and even now, that's where I – that's one of the one of the many pieces of the foundation for me that I cling to, that I hold on to, is that the book that I hold or you dial up on your digital de- – or your device, uh, I, I'm so thankful that just regular people like me and you and us didn't write it. It was inspired – 
men. So for me, I, that's comforting to me. It is comforting. And that might be that might be part of the reason why some of these other books we talked about are not included in here. They're, well, somebody used the word forgery yeah. earlier. Yeah. Can you speak on some sure. of them? Because there was, there's some obvious reasons why. Because these books, they're often called, um, sometimes they call them the lost gospels. Uh, sometimes they're just called the Gnostic gospels. Uh, gnosis is a word that has to do with, with knowledge. Um, but what to boil it down, the Gnostic Gospels, the lost Gospels, the ones that, like uh, the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter, these kinds of things, most of the time, you can boil it down to this, they're attempts to fill in certain gaps in Jesus' life. Like people say, what was he like as a boy? We don't know. You know, Luke tells us uh, two little stories, you know, just one little thing. He was 12 years old at the temple, this happened. You know, and that's about it. We, we're big chunks of time in the life of Jesus we don't have. And so these Gnostic Gospels try to fill in the gap there for his childhood. And they also try to fill in the gap of what happened in those three days between the death and the resurrection. And so these lost Gospels, and I even hate to even call them that, these Gnostic Gospels, uh, mostly try to fill in those gaps, what was going on then. But it's uh, things that are just made up. I mean, the stories the stories are incredible, and I mean incredible in a very negative sense, um, you know, saying things, well, Jesus got bumped by this one boy, so he struck him dead. And, and then, um, you know, he made clay pigeons fly away just to impress kids. And, and just all these crazy things that, um, you know, just weren't the case and don't fit the character of Jesus that we read about in the, the true Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But so these books were rejected for, you could really put it in three major categories as to why these lost Gospels were rejected. Uh, first of all, so many of them were just obvious forgeries, you know, saying they were written by a certain character, Thomas, Peter, whoever, and it was so many years later. So obvious forgeries, late productions, that means they were 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century. Well, that's way too far away to have been uh, part of uh, the, the original canon. So if it was a forgery, it was rejected. If it was a late production, it was rejected. But then if it just taught things that were what we would call unorthodox, meaning you have the books that you know are authentic, and then these books teach things that are doctrinally unsound, well, then they're going to be rejected too. Like, you know, Scripture clearly teaches there's one creator. Well, some of these Gnostic Gospels taught there were multiple creators. Well, that's got to be rejected. Scripture teaches that body and soul and the world, you know, this is good, right? Genesis 1, over and over again, the Lord made this and he saw it was good. Well, some of the Gnostic Gospels teach that the body and the world is evil, and it's only the soul that's good, and that's why you got to get away from the body. So that's rejected. Uh, we know that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Well, some of the lost Gospels teach that Jesus was only spirit and appeared to be human. Uh, then there's, you know, we know that it's, it's faith and obedience in Jesus that brings salvation, but the Gnostic Gospels would teach that it's special knowledge that brings salvation. Uh, and they would say that it's ignorance, not sin, that's the problem. Well, if they teach that, that's got to be rejected. And so what I want to emphasize is that these books were not lost by the early church. They were rejected. <laughs> they weren't <laughs> they, the ones people yeah, were willing to die for. Yeah, they were rejected by the early church. They didn't accidentally lose them, and we missed something in our, in our doctrine, in our teaching, in our worship. No, they were rejected, and they were happily lost. They were lost on purpose uh, because they were not uh, part of the canon. They were not helpful. And so they were known and they were rejected. They weren't somehow accidentally lost and then uh, rediscovered only to be 
reincorporated back into the Christian life. Uh, they weren't lost. They were rejected. Daniel, you still there? I'm here. I'm here. Uh-uh. All righty. Um, you know, another thing I think is is worth bringing out that um, helps me to have confidence in in the text that we have today is when you compare it, you know, when you start looking at textual criticism as you evaluate um, the integrity of, of different uh, ancient texts, if you compare the, the manuscript evidence that we have for the New Testament to other religious books, it's just astounding. You know, for example, uh, Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. You know, no, there's not a lot of serious doubts that scholars have about, about it, but we only have 10 ancient copies of it, the oldest of which was written a thousand years, was, was copied a thousand years after it was originally written. You know, Homer's The Iliad, you know, the most famous book of, of the ancient, uh, of ancient Greece. We only have 643 copies of it, ancient copies. But the Bible, the New Testament, Bart already mentioned that it was written in Greek. Ancient Greek manuscripts, we have more than 5,700 ancient Greek manuscripts attesting to uh, all or portions of the New Testament, the the best of which go back to, you know, as far back as the 300s. We even have, you know, John Rollins' papyrus that has a a, a little piece of, of John chapter 18 that dates back to, you know, the, the early 100s. So just, you know, 30, 40 years, maybe, maybe less from when it was originally written. We already have uh, a copy or a piece of a copy of that, that document. And that's not even to mention, you know, the ancient translations. You know, just like today we have modern translations. We Most of us are reading our Bibles in, in English as it's been translated from Greek. Well, uh, people in the ancient world needed to read the Bible. Not everybody did speak Greek. So there's an old Latin translation. There's old Syriac translations. And, and those date to, you know, the middle of the second century. These things are, are really ancient, and they give more evidence. Um, we've already mentioned how there have been so many early Christian writers, the church fathers, that, that quoted Scripture. You know, it's been said that even if all of our manuscripts of the, of the Scripture itself were, were lost, we could recreate almost all of it just from the, the citations and quotes from the ancient writers. So there, there's just this mountain of, of evidence about what the New Testament says. We can, feel, we can feel really good about the amount of evidence we have for it. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's overwhelming. And it's, uh, I've heard others say, you know, it's, it's embarrassing at how much better attested the New Testament is than other ancient documents um, and to our good, right? And that, that's the reason why we can be confident that the New Testament is not simply reliable, which it's reliable to the nth degree, but that we can be confident that it is authentic. And, uh, and that's, that's so helpful. And as Alan used the word comforting a moment ago, yeah, you compare uh, the evidence for the New Testament reliability, New Testament uh, authority, and it just blows all other ancient manuscripts out of the water. It's not even close. And that's because it's there's some things that are worth dying for and others aren't, right? Exactly. That's right. Uh, and that what's worth dying for is the truth. And as we, you know, time flies when you're having fun, and we've had time has already flown by. 
And I want to circle back around to truth. If you go back to John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, for me, is I'll kind of finish my final point, and then Daniel can finish. And I'm already thinking about uh, another first with soul training. Bart has been our first repeat guest, but he's also going to be our first three-peat guest as we bring him back, and hopefully soon, and we continue this further this discussion. But what is worth dying for? The truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those, to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the Bible that we uh, has been inspired, that is inspired, that we read and study and grow closer to makes us free not only on earth but also for eternity. And I'm thankful that we've had this opportunity to have this discussion, but this is not the end. It's just the beginning, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you, brother, and I, I appreciate Bart being here uh, with us uh, today. I think this has been a good discussion. I hate our time's already gone because there's still so much more that we could say. You know, we haven't even had the chance to talk yet about modern translations, or there's there's a lot more we could even say about the transmission and, and canonization and all that sort of thing. Uh, so hopefully Bart will come back and, and have another Bible discussion with us uh, real soon. But we want to thank you, our listener, for uh, being with us. It, you know, obviously, you're the reason we do this, and we hope that um, these discussions are a blessing to you, and you are a blessing to us. I want to thank uh, Big Show Joe for what he does to make this show possible. Uh, we present him with lots of challenges and obstacles sometimes, uh, like tonight we did, and he rose to the occasion. And um, we want to thank the elders at the South Green Street Church of Christ for making this possible. And so as always, until next time, keep soul training. Soul training. Time to practice what you preach. Ooh, yeah. Yes, we do. We've got soul training. To learn more, you can email us at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com or you can write to us. P.O. Box 503, Glasgow, Kentucky, 42142. That's Soul Training.